Where would we be without the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Amen. Thank you, David, and the team for leading us in worship this morning. If you have your copy of the Scriptures, please open it with me to Exodus chapter 12, the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12. If you don't have a copy, there should be a one in the pew rack in front of you. We're on page 53 of Exodus chapter 12. Well, as a nation, it seems that we have traditionally set aside this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, as the official or unofficial kickoff of the summer, and we pause, or we should pause, to give thanks for those that made our celebrations possible. I would submit that not a single barbecue will take place, not a single family gathering will take place were it not for the shed blood of men and women, most in uniform, some undercover that you would never know what they do, but we're thankful for their sacrifice, and so we pause as a nation. We should. I I don't know about you, but even after all of these years, I'm still amazed that we have young men and women that are stepping up to raise their hand and take their oath and say that they will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign, domestic, even at the risk of laying down their life. I'm thankful. As a nation, we should be thankful. And so, as a nation, as Americans, this weekend, we pause. We should pause. As a church, we pause. And specifically, speak to those who are here who you have lost a family member or you have lost a friend in service to our nation, and we want you to know that we stand with you. We thank you, you, for your unique sacrifice. We stand with you, and we love you, and we are thankful for you this morning. Well, 40 years ago this week, I assembled with a 1,000 of my Naval Academy classmates in Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland, on the morning of graduation and our commissioning into the Navy and the Marine Corps. Uh, Surrounded by us in the infield of that stadium are these blue signs and bold bold blue letters that list the battles, many of them where Naval Academy graduates have fought valiantly. Pearl Harbor up over here. Iwo Jima, Midway, Normandy, Chosin Reservoir, Mekong Delta, to name a few. Seventy-three Naval Academy graduates have been awarded our nation's highest award, the Medal of Honor, in service to their nation. And so that, that stadium is a fitting venue for graduation and commissioning. One of the most honored and yet sobering Naval Academy graduation traditions involves the class that graduated 50 years prior to the graduating class. For us, it was the class of 1929. Uh, The families of those who had passed of the class of 1929, many of them have donated their class rings 
and their service members' swords and their medals and, and their warfare specialty pins that they wore in the uniform, all of them melted down and reformatted as gift to us in the first collar device that we will wear on our uniforms upon commissioning. It's a powerful scene that morning at the stadium. As you walk up to receive your diploma and you walk down the ramp back to your seating area, as many as the class of 1929 could assemble, they did. And they formed a very orderly but powerful receiving line. One handshake after another as they welcomed us into a life of service to the nation. Almost to a man saying to us as they looked us in the eye and shook our hands, remember this day. Remember this day. Many had been called to sacrifice for us, but now we were being called to be willing to sacrifice for the many. Remember this day. Those of you who have served or are currently serving, you know that it's a shared and sobering but mostly unspoken reality that one day you may be called to lay down your life in service to others. It may be that you would have to shed your blood so that others may live. It's a powerful act of love. In fact, Jesus calls it the greatest form of love. John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one would willingly lay down their life for his friends. Just days after Jesus would utter these words, he would also stand behind them by willingly going to that cross at Calvary, demonstrated the greatest love. The man who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He paid a debt he did not even owe so that none of us would ever have to pay. He willingly gave of his life so that you and I can live. So as we pause as Americans and as a church this weekend to reflect upon those in our nation who have sacrificed their lives, I personally am drawn to a specific text, our text this morning here in Exodus chapter 12, because it is a prototype of Jesus who modeled the intentional, self-emptying, sacrificial to the point of death kind of love for you and for me. Certainly we, we know from our careful study of Scripture, beginning early in the book of Genesis, that we see God's redemption story unfolding. But I believe it's here in Exodus chapter 12 that gives us a glimpse into what would happen for us in the New Testament 2,000 years ago. The prototype of the lamb that was slain in Exodus 12 is Jesus, our lamb of God, the one who willingly laid down his life for you and for me. What an appropriate weekend, Memorial Day weekend, as we remember those who have given of their lives so that you and I could enjoy the freedom. We now focus our attention here in the scriptures. Follow along as I begin in verse one of Exodus chapter 12. This is Moses writing. Verse one says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. 
It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all of the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. You shall keep it with you until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. That's God's words to Moses. Verse 21 picks up where Moses then shares that with the nation of Israel. Verse 21, then Moses called all of the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, that's a leafy vegetable, take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, but when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will, here's two key words, pass over. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statue for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service or this ritual or this act, this rite? What do you mean by this? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. It's a powerful story. When the people of Israel were made aware of what God would do for them on their behalf, they would, he would free them from brutal slavery in Egypt. When, when the people of Israel, the scripture tells us here in verse 27, when they found out the story that God had planned for them to free them and to save them, it overwhelmed them. And they stopped like we're doing this weekend. And they paused and they remembered. And they worshiped the Almighty. That God would make a way for one to die so that we would live. And they stopped and they paused and they worshiped. As we begin our brief study this morning in Exodus 12 of Passover, I want to make sure we highlight three specific things so we can understand the text and make application. First of all, I want to study what is the Passover rite? What is this rite and why did they do it? Secondly, what's the Passover result? What happened as a result of what they did? And thirdly, most importantly, what's our responsibility about the Passover? What responsibility do we have now that we know this story? Well, let's begin by unpacking this rite or the ritual of the Passover. The earlier chapters in this book of Exodus that we don't cover this morning really show us the catalyst 
for how this whole Passover rite came about. We know that the Jews had been held captive in Israel now for a number of centuries, and God is going to move them out. And God uses Moses as the leader of the nation of Israel. You and your brother are to go to Pharaoh and bring them my imperative. And that's what Moses does. He comes before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. That's the imperative from God. Let my people go so they may come out and worship me. But unfortunately for Pharaoh, Exodus 5 tells us that he was not only ignorant, but he was arrogant. Verse 2 of Exodus 5 says, the words of Pharaoh, he says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. That may describe you today here. Pharaoh says, I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. But despite Pharaoh's arrogance, we learn in the very next chapter that God promised his people that he would redeem them from their bondage. Moses writes the word of the Lord here in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. He says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. Pharaoh's stiff-necked response to God's message to let my people go would prove to be not only costly to him, but to his countrymen as well. As God would unleash a series of ten consecutive and devastating plagues designed to display God's power, humble Pharaoh and release his people that they may worship him. The tenth and the worst of these plagues was the death of the firstborn. In all of the Egyptian households, all the Jews would be saved. The means by which God would provide redemption and safe passage for his people who were enslaved in Egypt would prove to be a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ would do for each one of us at Calvary. Here in the text, we know that the the Passover would require them to take a newborn without spot or blemish, in other words, almost perfect lamb, this baby lamb that they would take into their home for 14 days, for two weeks they would have that in their home. They would come to love this lamb and care for this lamb, but then also that lamb would require to be slaughtered. And they would slaughter that lamb. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of exactly what Jesus would do for us. In fact, John the Baptist says in John chapter 1, when he points to Jesus, he says, look, there is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. The Lamb of the Passover here is the prototype of exactly what Jesus would do for each one of us. And by the way, as a side note, we often say that salvation is free, But friends, we need to be reminded, even though it's free, it didn't come without a cost. In fact, just thinking about this weekend that we celebrate, just a solemn stroll through Arlington National Cemetery will remind us that freedom is costly. Likewise, salvation would come at a price. That lamb that those families came to know and love, they would eventually need to slaughter. And the slaughter would provide the blood, and that blood would be used to cover their doorposts and the lintel above their heads, and literally they would be saved by the blood of that lamb. 
They would be literally covered under the blood of that lamb. That is a picture of what God would do for each one of us at Calvary. And during the Passover, the rite here, God not only had them perform the sacrifice of killing that newborn, one-year-old, that spotless lamb, and using that blood to cover their doorposts as a sign, so literally the, the destroyer would pass them by, pass them over as it came to bring death in Egypt. Not only did God give them that rite, but God also provided them a meal. He said, you will also use that lamb to nourish yourself, that you will remember. And so he provided for them a meal of roasted lamb and bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And he said, when you eat this meal, make sure you're dressed for travel. You're about to be released from captivity. Everything will be released off of you. Be dressed for travel. Men, have your, your garments stuck into your belt. Have the sandals already on your feet. Be standing there eating with your staff. See, God would feed them. God would spare them. God would then free them. And God would lead them out of captivity into the marvelous light of the promised land. Well, that is the rite of the Passover that God gave us, that God gave the Jews that would protect them. But not only do we have the right of the Passover, but secondly, I want us to see the results of the Passover. Reflecting on our text today and the verses that would follow after our text here in Exodus chapter 12, there seems to have been an instantaneous and significant fourfold impact of the Passover. First, as a result of the Passover, the proud and arrogant nature of Pharaoh. Remember what he said, I don't know the Lord, and I'm not going to obey the Lord. Well, that proud and arrogant spirit would yield and would eventually be the one who would usher Moses and the nation of Israel out and into freedom. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, make no mistake, and it continued to be hardened, but his spirit gave way to humility as God overpowered his stubborn ways. Well, secondly, as a result of the Passover, God was glorified in that the entire nation of Egypt, the entire nation of all the Egyptians, were made known that who was the true God. They served and followed many, many artificial gods, but he would tell them and show them that he is the one to be worshipped. He is the God of gods and the King of kings. He is the only one. Well, thirdly, as a result of the Passover, God was also exalted by the people of Israel. God said, you will remember what happened here, and you will celebrate this annually, no matter where you go. And as a family, you'll be willing to tell others of what God did on your behalf. And fourthly, and finally, most importantly, as a result of the Passover, plain and simple, the entire nation of Israel was spared. They were spared by and only by the shed blood of a spotless lamb establishing the prototype of exactly what Jesus would do for us. I trust we can see the New Testament parallel in this passage today. Paul lays it out for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. and verse 7, he says, Jesus, he is our Passover. So Paul describes him. Again, what John the Baptist said, when he saw Jesus walking, he pointed to the crowd and said, Behold, that is the Lamb of God 
who will take away the sins of the world. Jesus is our Passover. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, he says, we are offered redemption by the precious blood of a lamb unblemished and spotless. Speaking of Jesus, the blood of Christ. Just as the overwhelmingly good news of the past first Passover caused the Jews to bow and worship, it should cause us to bow and worship as well. But friends, you would only bow and worship if you had received what God had offered. By way of the Passover or by way of the prototype, what Jesus would do for us on the cross. Friend, let me ask you a question. Are you here today and you put your faith and trust in Christ and the sacrifice that he made? Or are you more like Pharaoh, who was the Lord, that I should give him anything to think about? Who, who was the Lord that I should follow him and obey him? Friend, which one defines you today? And let me say, if you're here today and outside of the family of faith, let me tell you that every time we look at the Scripture, we make application for our lives. What do we observe? What does it mean? And what am I supposed to do? But the application of Scripture is not just for the believer in Jesus Christ. The application is for everyone. You see, Romans chapter 1 tells us that even the unbeliever, they understand, are familiar with the truth, but the Scripture says they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Familiar with it, but like Pharaoh, they choose to suppress it. And so, friend, if you're here today and you're wondering why the fuss about the Passover, how does that impact me? Well, let me give you the quick answer and tell you quickly the story of why this is important. It starts with the fact that God loves us. And God created us. He created every one of us. And God really put the, the world around us, this beautiful world that we enjoy, and it's almost like we are the center of God's universe. He loves us that much. But the problem is, while God wants to have a relationship with us, we are born sinful and selfish. God is holy, sinless. And here we are in trying to have this relationship, and there's a huge chasm, a huge gap between a holy God and sinful us. We may do a lot of things trying to bridge that gap. We say, well, maybe if I just get all of these advanced degrees or make all of this money or maybe if I do all of these good works, I could somehow close that gap a little bit or maybe I know what I'll do. I'll recycle. If I just separate my glass from my plastic, help the environment, that'll probably really bridge the gap. And friends, as much as you may bridge the gap, there will still be what's called a gap. In fact, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short. There's a gap. Nobody can fulfill that gap, but God still has that desire to love us and have a relationship with us. So he devised the perfect plan. And what God did was we, he sent his perfect son, Jesus, God in the flesh, part of the Trinity. He sent him here to earth and the sole reason that he was born 2,000 years ago to a young girl named Mary in a place called Bethlehem right outside of Jerusalem, the whole reason Jesus came was to be that sacrificial lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
That was Jesus. That's why he came. He went to that cross to pay for our sins. He paid a debt I said he never didn't even owe. He paid a debt that none of us could ever pay. We couldn't scan that gap. But God did it for us. And all he asks that we do in response to what Jesus did is that we believe in him, accept that gift, and make him Lord of our life. And friend, that there's never been a time that you've done that. Let me ask you, what are you waiting for? Now that you're armed with the information about why we studied the Passover, the prototype that it is for Jesus Christ here in the New Testament, and why it's important that we understand this, and why it's important that you accept it, friend, you need to make a decision. But let me warn you up front, the decision you make about Jesus Christ here on earth before you die will affect your relationship with him for all of eternity. You see, if you choose to say, I'll tell you what, I'm not worried about that gap. I'll do it my own way. I'll take my chances. The Bible says that when you die, without Christ having paid for your sins, you'll pay for them. Eternally separated from God without any hope of recovery. How sad that will be. But the good news is, friend, God also said that should you put your faith and trust in Christ and believe that he made the perfect sacrifice, that when you die, when I die, we'll be welcomed into heaven for all of eternity. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And this is the way you'll get there. I'll send my son to die for you on the cross. You put your faith and trust in him, you'll be with me forever. Friend, you need to make a choice. The choice is up to you. It would be our desire today that if you've not made that choice before, that you own that for yourself. Go from death to life, from darkness to light, from a place called hell to eternity in heaven. Well, we studied also, boy, the, the ritual of the Passover. We looked at the results of the Passover, including how it affects each one of us. But what is our responsibility with the Passover? We know the story, we know the prototype, but now what are we called to do with this Passover story? We understand that the Old Testament, the, the sacrificial lamb in Exodus 12 is Jesus of the New Testament. We get that picture what Jesus would do, but that's what he did. What are we called to do? What is our responsibility? Well, I believe we have a twofold responsibility with the gospel, with the story, and the first one is I believe that you and I need to be prepared to share this boldly. Moses said, look in verse 26 of Exodus 12, Moses said, when the children ask, why are we celebrating this Passover rite? Why are we doing this, response, this ritual here? When the children ask, be ready to give an account for what happened on behalf of us to save us. Friends, we have the same responsibility in 2019 and subsequent to be willing to share the good news of the gospel. We bear that responsibility. Picture with me. The scripture that we read today in Exodus 12 says, the first couple of verses said that God gave the plan to Moses. Then we picked it up in verse 21. Moses turned around and gave it to the elders of Israel. 
There was no cell phones, there was no social media, there was no post office or mail, and so those elders had to get it to everybody else in the nation of Israel. We've been enslaved for hundreds of years. God's got a plan. He gave it to Moses. Moses gave it to me. I'm giving it to you. Spread the word. Tell everyone we're about to be saved. Share it boldly. Can you just picture this scenario? Having received the word from the elders, one of the Jews and their family, they got their lamb, they kept it for two weeks, they go out and slaughter it, they put the blood in a basin, and now picture them in front of their home, they've dipped the hyssop in that blood, and they're, they're up there putting it on the doorpost. The Passover is about to happen. They're putting it on the doorpost. Another Jewish family comes by and says, Hey, neighbor, what you doing? What's with all that red stuff? What you doing? And they say nothing. Those people have been enslaved for 400 years. God had a plan and a way. You dip the blood. You put it on your doorpost because tonight, hey neighbor, what you doing? What's with all that blood? And you say nothing. Friends, I submit that we have a moral responsibility. We have a biblical great commission responsibility to share him boldly. Christ died so that we could live eternally. We are surrounded by people who don't know the story. We've been told the story. When the children ask, be ready to give an account of the hope that lies within you. We need to share him boldly. Secondly, I believe we have a responsibility because of the Passover. We have a responsibility to walk in a manner worthy. We have a responsibility to walk in a manner worthy. We understand this uh, on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, maybe many of you have, like me, gone to Arlington National Cemetery, and, and you've seen the changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown. That tomb holding the remains of those that laid down their lives so we could have freedom. That tomb is guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year. Despite the weather, those soldiers are walking in a manner worthy of the sacrifice that was made on their behalf. Walking worthy, living a life doesn't buy you salvation. No, no matter what you do as a, as a worthy life here, that doesn't buy us anything with God. But as a result of what God has already done for us, we ought to walk in a manner worthy. In fact, Paul the Apostle tells us that 
In the book of Ephesians, six chapters, the first three are all about who we are in Christ. It really lays incredible things of who we are if you belong to Christ. But then in chapters four, five, and six says, as a result of who we are in Christ, this is what we ought to be like. This is what we ought to do. And he starts in chapter four, verse one, with this verse. It's powerful. Paul says, I therefore, in other words, as a result of everything I've taught you in the first three chapters of what Christ did for us and who we are, he says, I therefore urge you, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy. Salvation is free, but friends, it's not cheap. Somebody died for your salvation. Its name is Jesus. We're stopping and pausing this Memorial Day weekend to reflect upon the lives that were given for our freedom. It's a picture of the gospel that we would pause and reflect about what Christ has done for us and as a result, we walk and live differently. How we live does not get us salvation. How we live reflects our thankfulness for our salvation. In a very tangible way, our family learned this very lesson a little over six years ago. It was on the 23rd of April, 2013. Our youngest son, Justin, who's now an Army captain, was leaving as part of the early detachment out of the 10th Mountain Division out of Fort Drum, New York. And they were headed to Fort Operating Base Shank in eastern Afghanistan. They had not even been in country two weeks when the Taliban attack against them occurred. It was about 7 o'clock East Coast time when our family received the official phone call from the United States Army. That will sober you. Calling us to tell us that our son, Justin, had been seriously wounded in combat operations in eastern Afghanistan. He was the only survivor. His two friends were killed with him instantly. In fact, had they not taken the direct hit, our son would have been much more seriously wounded. His two friends made the sacrifice so that he could live. Someone died so that he is still alive today. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the Passover. Blood was shed so that you could live. I will tell you now that as a result of my son's significant injuries, he walks a lot different physically, but he also walks a lot different spiritually. Paul says, I therefore, the prison of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. Moses said, when the children ask, be ready to give an account of the hope that lies within you. Remember this day. Sometime back I received in the name of our country the bodies of four Marines 
who had died while on active duty. I said then that there is a special sadness that accompanies the death of a serviceman, for we're never quite good enough to them. Not really, we can't be, because what they gave us is beyond our powers to repay. And so when a serviceman dies, it's a tear in the fabric, a break in the hole, and all we can do is remember. It is, in a way, an odd thing to honor those who died in defense of our country, in defense of us, in wars far away. The imagination plays a trick. We see these soldiers in our mind as old and wise. We see them as something like the founding fathers, grave and gray-haired. But most of them were boys when they died, and they gave up two lives, the one they were living and the one they would have lived. When they died, they gave up their chance to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers. They gave up their chance to be revered old men. They gave up everything for our country, for us. We owe them a debt we can never repay. All we can do is remember them and what they did and why they had to be brave for us. As you depart this morning in somber and quiet respect, I ask you to remember that while it is right and good that we honor men, we worship only the Lord our God. Go now in his grace and peace. You have been listening to Emmanuel. You can find more resources like this at ibcva.com. Here is a parting word from Pastor Jesse. If you have any questions about what you heard today, or if you want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, please visit our church website, ibcva.com. If you're not a member of a local church and you live in the Washington, D.C. area, we'd love to have you worship with us here at Emmanuel. We're located in Northern Virginia, and for more information about when and where we worship, check out our church website. I hope to personally meet you this Sunday after our service. But no matter where you live, it's our hope that everyone who uses this resource is involved in their own local church. Now may God bless you this week as you seek Jesus constantly, serve the Lord faithfully, and share the gospel boldly.